what we see, I think, is that healthcare is becoming increasingly under federal government regulation and control. And as this occurs, the federal healthcare risks of fraud are going to be increasing significantly. Private insurance companies are also experiencing continuous growth of fraud. And the healthcare industry is really developing proactive compliance programs, but they struggle to keep up with the level of fraud, waste, and abuse that they sort of have to pursue. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Welcome. This is uh, Michael Volkov coming to you from sunny Rome in Italy here for a couple of weeks. And I wanted to turn to healthcare compliance and fraud. I don't spend as much time as we probably should on healthcare compliance issues. And I want to bring a little bit of history here, and not just because I'm in Rome, but I want to bring a little bit of history about the importance of healthcare compliance because. If you look back in the history, the compliance field owes a lot, I believe, to the healthcare industry. In the 1990s, there was a dramatic explosion, obviously, in the healthcare industry in general, aggressive federal enforcement programs and increasing regulation. There was a transformation in what was the role of compliance officers in healthcare. They usually were in the back rooms of legal departments. And they had to transform their role because federal regulators in DOJ pushed the compliance function to assume a much larger role of healthcare companies and to come out from under the shadow of legal departments and play a frontline role in mitigating risks. And this is where sort of the origin of the independence, uh, the separation of compliance from legal sort of originated in the 1990s. So- there really were four significant trends that occurred to move compliance programs in the healthcare sector into this new era. First, there was huge consumer demand, rising prices, and increasing regulation. And this was during the time period of HMO controversies and consumer litigation against healthcare providers and insurance. Second, the Justice Department started to use criminal tools and criminal prosecutions to fight against healthcare fraud and circumvention of government regulations. False Claims Act became even more important as an enforcement staple. In the 80s, the False Claims Act was used more against sort of the defense industry. And as the healthcare started to rise in overall public policy importance, the False Claims Act became even more important in the 90s and into 2000s. And we also saw a robust sort of regulatory enforcement regime created through CMS, the Center for Medicare Services, and most importantly, the HHS Office of Inspector General, which has now become a real force when it comes to enforcement of compliance and enforcement of regulations. 
what we see, I think, is that healthcare is becoming increasingly under federal government regulation and control. And as this occurs, the federal healthcare risks of fraud are going to be increasing significantly. Private insurance companies are also experiencing continuous growth of fraud. And the healthcare industry is really developing proactive compliance programs, but they struggle to keep up with the level of fraud, waste, and abuse that they sort of have to pursue. Healthcare fraud, for example, the current estimate is that it annually costs taxpayers at least $100 billion. But one interesting thing is that every dollar spent by the federal government to fight fraud, in other words, hiring more prosecutors, hiring more investigators, pays for itself multiple times. And really, the only constraint that prosecutors have is that they need resources to investigate and prosecute healthcare criminals. And there's no shortage of targets in this area for healthcare law enforcement agencies to go after. But I want to take a moment also to talk about what I consider the unique elements of healthcare compliance programs. These are beyond what we see as the sort of traditional elements of health compliance programs as you know, articulated by, let's say, the DOJ evaluation of corporate compliance programs or the sentencing guidelines. There's some real unique elements that reflect the healthcare industry. Look, we all know about risk assessments, the code of ethics, written policies and procedures, training, confidential reporting and investigation systems, gifts, meals, grants, medical education programs, and audit and review processes. But what I want to talk about are some of the more specific risks that come up and that typically have to be addressed. So for example, number one, I would put in one of the most significant risk areas is physician interactions. Healthcare companies that fall under the broad definition that interact with patients who are reimbursed under federal healthcare programs like Medicare and Medicaid have to ensure they avoid risks created by the anti-kickback statute, which punishes both sides of the bribery transactions. The Stark Law governing physician interests and referrals and payments to physicians that basically may improperly influence healthcare providers when making decisions on services and products that are in the best interests of the patient. It's kind of an interesting concept that is always brought into regulation and enforcement actions is to preserve the ability of the doctor or the professional to make choices or recommendations for the patient free from the influence of drug companies medical device companies, or others. Pharmaceutical and medical device companies face real and tangible risks in this area, but so do hospitals and other providers. So physician interactions, how you interact with the physicians. Now, it also differs if you're a hospital system, if they're your employees versus physicians who you contract with. And that could raise a different complement of the issues in terms of these types of risks. So let's talk about another area is healthcare data and privacy. And healthcare companies face unique risks from the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, or we call it HIPAA, which creates national standards to protect sensitive patient health information from disclosure with the patient's consent. 
in our current sort of data infested economy, social media and other immediate information or communications techniques, HIPAA risks are significant and require dedicated compliance resources. And HIPAA requires encryption and security of PHI, robust control policies, protections against improper disclosure and failure to maintain business associate agreements with third-party contractors. In other words, third parties that may process or come in control PHI data have to have assurances with regard to their own encryption and security procedures. HHS's Office of Civil Rights enforces HIPAA and has a robust administrative record, including intervention to require changes in privacy practices and the imposition of fines and penalties totaling over $100 million in the 20 years since HIPAA was first enacted. We also have employment of ineligible persons. Healthcare providers that participate in federal healthcare programs are prohibited from hiring individuals who've been excluded by the HHS OIG, which maintains a list of excluded individuals and entities. As a consequence, healthcare companies have to conduct appropriate due diligence of entities and individuals to ensure that they do not hire a prohibited individuals. Perhaps one of the most difficult areas is also billing, coding, and overpayments. Healthcare compliance professionals focus strategies on eliminating coding, billing, and reimbursement errors. Fraudsters navigate this complex set of regulations to juice the reimbursement system and earn illegal revenues. Healthcare providers face different risk profiles depending on whether they operate billing systems internally at hospitals, for example, or outsource the billing function to third-party providers. In the latter situation, healthcare providers need to design and implement appropriate contractual provisions. And I've seen weaknesses in this area so that they have access to billing data, but they want to make sure that they monitor the performance of the third-party provider. In this specific area, healthcare companies have really developed some innovative monitoring and audit programs that require sampling techniques and statistical analysis to ensure compliance with detailed regulations governing quality of service coding and documentation. Healthcare compliance companies have been at the forefront of these strategies, and they're actually techniques that you can apply in non-healthcare situations as well, really False Claims Act. And in the healthcare industry, the overarching risk for healthcare providers and pharmaceutical and medical device companies is the filing of a False Claims Act enforcement action, which is usually initiated by a whistleblower using key TAM rules. And nearly 99% of all False Claims Act cases each year where the government decides to intervene are immediately settled. 90% of almost all False Claims Act cases now involve healthcare, pharma, or medical device industries. Over the years, the False Claim Act has been applied well beyond just billing and reimbursement issues to include false representations that may be incorporated into a product or a drug, which then is then made part of a quote-unquote claim. So that, that's another trend to sort of watch with regard to that as well. And I just want to take a moment just to talk about what we see in terms of aggressive healthcare criminal enforcement. For example, the Justice Department just arrested 78 defendants in a nationwide crackdown on healthcare fraud. They usually take like a two-week period and 
start arresting people based upon a coordinated program. And prosecuting fraud cases in the healthcare industry, I've said, is like shooting fish in a barrel. There are just an infinite number of targets. So DOJ always publicizes these national crackdowns, and they occur usually maybe four a year. In its most recent, they arrested the 78 defendants on healthcare fraud and opioid abuse schemes, totaling over $2.5 billion in fraud. Most of the cases charged involve fraud schemes against programs designed to pay for the elderly and the disabled. And as noted by DOJ, a lot of the defendants use their illegal proceeds to purchase luxury items like automobiles, jewelry, and yachts. Perhaps the most significant area that's growing in terms of healthcare fraud is telemedicine fraud. Obviously, with the pandemic and remote work, we saw a growth in telemedicine and a change in reimbursement policy by the CMS, by the Medicare, to allow for reimbursement under the Medicare system for telehealth visits and things like that. So that has opened up Pandora's box in terms of the amount of fraud that is occurring. So for example, DOJ in this takedown charged 11 defendants with the submission of over $2 billion in fraudulent claims using telemedicine schemes. In one of the largest healthcare fraud schemes ever prosecuted in Miami, Florida, they charged the CEO, former CEO, and vice president of business development for a software and services company, which was involved in the submission of $1.9 billion in false claims connected to doctor's orders for orthotic braces and pain creams, which were medically unnecessary or ineligible for reimbursement. The scheme was carried out using a large telemarketing operation to target elderly and disabled with direct mail, television advertising, and other marketing efforts to trick them into purchasing unnecessary medical equipment and prescriptions. The defendants programmed the software platform to generate false and fraudulent orders for telemedicine practitioners to sign and then obstruct Medicare investigations by concealing that the interactions with beneficiaries had occurred remotely using telemedicine. The program generated orders that include falsified certifications that the doctors had examined the beneficiaries in person and falsified diagnostic testing that Medicare required for brace orders. In another telemedicine fraud case, a physician was charged for signing for more than 2,800 fraudulent orders for orthotic braces, including for patients whose limbs had already been amputated. As alleged, the physician took less than 40 seconds to review and sign each order. DOJ charged also in pharmaceutical fraud 10 defendants for the submission of over $370 million in fraudulent claims for prescription drugs. In one case, the owner and corporate officer of a pharmaceutical wholesale distribution company was charged for an alleged $150 million fraud scheme in which the company purchased illegally diverted prescription HIV medication and then marketed and resold the medication by falsely representing that the company acquired it through legitimate channels. The defendant allegedly purchased the diverted medication at a substantial discount from individuals who obtained the drugs primarily through illegal buyback schemes in which they paid HIV patients cash for their expensive HIV medication, then they repackaged those pills for resale. To cover up their scheme, the defendant and others falsified labeling and product tracing documentation 
to make it appear legitimate. And pharmacies then purchase the misbranded medications, dispense them to patients, and build them to healthcare benefit programs, all while the defendants reap substantial illegal products. So those are some examples of some of the DOJ prosecutions have involved in terms of individuals involved in fraud, but obviously they prosecute and have brought false claims act cases against hospital systems and other healthcare providers. So that's just a quick look at some of the healthcare compliance issues and fraud that occurs. We'll try to stay on top of this and when we see some interesting false claims act cases or other enforcement actions, we'll try to summarize those as well. So thanks everybody and we'll see you next week for another episode of Corruption Crime Compliance. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com.